three reasons why. Number one, a lot of kids are living in food insecure households and the food they get at school may be the only food they get. And so they should be getting healthy food. If, if they can't get it anywhere else, they should at least be able to get it at school. So um, I think that's a really important example. Um, with so much food insecurity, making sure the food at school is healthy is really important. We say hungry kids need healthy school food. Another reason is for the parents who are feeding their kids healthfully at home. And then their kids go to school and they have are bombarded with all these unhealthy choices. That is really undermining the parents. So that's not good either. And then finally, it's our U.S. taxpayer dollars that pay for this food. And why would we be putting our tax money into food that is harming children? instead of only food that is helping them. Hi everyone, welcome to or welcome back to the Veg Talk podcast. I'm your host, Matt Davey, and you just heard from this week's special guest, Amy Hamlet, Executive Director of the Coalition for Healthy School Food. Now before we begin, a quick check-in is in order. I'd like to thank all of you who have left a review and a rating for the podcast and also to those who have been in contact with me over Instagram. I really do appreciate the feedback. I hope you're all doing well and have had a great week. I'm wondering if you tried anything new this week. I'd love to hear about any new experiences you've had recently. Drop me a message on Instagram. You can reach me at VegTalk. We've had a heap of new experiences. So on our travels, a recent one in Portland, Oregon, it was this dance at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning where people are free to move how they want. And it was a very interesting experience. We smiled and we laughed. So I'd highly recommend it if you are in the area. Now to the podcast. Amy has done amazing work for the Coalition for Healthy School Food, educating children, parents, teachers about healthy plant-based food and the benefits it has for our health, environment, and other things specific to school like attendance, focus and even grades i hope you enjoy the show as always please feel free to reach out to me with any questions you have and i'll see you on the other side veggie mates all right everyone so i'm here today in it's actually danby new york here but we're just outside of ithaca new york and it's anna and i's first stop in our in our van in our uh you know our travels across the country um and we've had quite the time here we've <laughs> we arrived at i'm with amy Ham, hamlin today uh who is you're the director of the coalition for healthy school food correct right. yep. up, up here in new york and yeah we we organized to meet uh and and do a podcast and then the day that we were scheduled to do it we were getting about a foot of snow more and it probably ended up being a bit bit more than that. Yeah. Um, but we we, ro- <laughs> we rolled in at about, I don't know, it was probably like quarter to five uh, in the afternoon yesterday. And we hadn't even had the chance to really meet yet. But before we knew it, we were putting chains on Amy's tractor because she had to plow the driveway. Um, so we we got acquainted quite quickly. And we did. We, we got to work <laughs> and we've had, we've had a really cool day shoveling yeah. snow and 
planting garlic in the garden and we've just had an amazing dinner uh, with your friends here doing the Friday night dinner. The Friday macro dinner. Friday macro dinner. In Brooklyndale, New York. And for anyone coming to the area, I'd highly recommend it if you can get to this dinner. It's an awesome experience, amazing food, cool people and yeah, not really like anything we'd experienced before. So thank you for bringing us. And yeah, we're going into this podcast having mm-hmm. eaten an awesome meal and had a had a really good time. It was actually their Thanksgiving celebration that they do each Friday before Thanksgiving. But they have a meal virtually every Friday of the year. They've been doing this for 24 years and it is just a fabulous sense of community. I call it my built-in social life <laughs> because I'm always there on Friday nights. If I'm in town, I'm there. And it's an amazing meal, amazing people, and it's just something really special. Couldn't agree more. It's really special. I think the the fact that they've done it for that long, and it's it's obviously grown into something quite amazing. Because you see the you know the the range of ages there, and the and the different types of people that all all come to the same place and right. sit down across from each other, have a meal, talk. Yeah, I think it's something that we might miss in our now busy often busy lives it's it's good to kind of take the time to mm-hmm. to really appreciate the food that you you know you have in front of you and they um they certainly give that vibe so it was um yeah really fun experience and thanks for for taking Anna and I there well i it was a pleasure i always love it when people come here that and when i tell people about coming to visit Ithaca very important to do it so that you're here on a Friday night so that you can experience the Friday macro dinner. But not everybody lives here or visits here. And they wrote this great cookbook with um, vegan recipes, quantity recipes, so that actually the idea is other people could do this in their communities. They could use their recipes. They could use other recipes. But they, they can create a sense of community by doing these dinners. Yeah, And they're awesome a blast. Yeah, really cool way to do it. <laughs> um yeah if you're here definitely definitely um try and get that into your schedule so it's every friday night here in ithaca i'll tell you the website just so if anybody wants to do it yes this is how they can look it up find out where it's at you should reserve a few nights before it's called the great life cookbook.com that's the website and the cookbook's called the great life cookbook perfect thank you for that that's awesome yeah go and check it out guys and let me know what you think but today I really am looking forward to to talking about what you're working on and that's getting healthy food into into schools healthy plant-based food healthy plant-based food which is the most important part and it's come up in a few past episodes with people you know that everyone goes to to school that I've that I've spoken to at least they've all gone to school and I'm intrigued by the experience and and what food is on offer. And from what I've, you know, been told and and kind of understand, some of the worst foods are fed to our young kids at school where they're, you know, learning and growing. And um, I wanted to, you know, learn more about what you're doing to, um, I suppose, solve these issues or provide solutions. Uh, What are the what are the main problems that you're coming up with, you know, or you're seeing um, in schools on their menus and okay. and the and the problems kids might, you know, be 
be getting from their from their um, dietary habits from a young age? Well, I think the first thing to point out is that schools, school food isn't terrible in a vacuum. It's a reflection of the food that's available in our culture. So I think the schools started to copy fast food. They started to copy processed food. They started to copy the kind of food that kids are used to eating out there in society. So it's not just school food is terrible. It's that food in our culture is pretty bad. And the schools are kind of copying that. However, their versions have less fat, less calories, less sodium because they do have regulations. But they tend to be on the more processed side. But that's not true for all schools. Lots of schools do homemade scratch cooking and more and more are doing plant-based foods and recipes. So we partner with a couple of school districts on an ongoing, like a formal partnership, ongoing basis, but we help any school around the country that wants it. And so while I live in the Ithaca area of New York State, and we have also significant programming going on in New York City, we help schools around the country. And our recipes have been distributed to 25,000 schools nationwide. So um, these schools have our recipes available. They're bean or lentil or tofu-based recipes, the main dish. Because schools have to offer fruits and vegetables and whole grains, so the component of the meal most in need of improvement is really the center of the plate. The um, They call it the meat-meat alternate, um, but in the U.S. dietary guidelines, it's what we call the protein component or what people generally call the main dish or the entree. So that's our focus. Of course, it doesn't make sense to call it the protein component because there's protein in all whole plant foods, yep. not not just beans and lentils and uh, nuts and seeds, but all whole plant foods have protein. Cool. So how, how do you guys go about implementing, um, you know, the, the menus or the recipes that you have? Uh, is there education involved, teaching? Uh, are there hands-on classes? What are some of the things that uh, you guys are doing at the, the coalition? That's a great question. So, yes, we educate the whole school community. So that means not only the students but also the parents, the teachers, the paraprofessionals, the staff, the food service personnel, any of the adults that work in the school or the parents or caregivers, we educate them because otherwise the kids are getting this information in a vacuum and then the adults around them don't have it. So we like to educate everyone about it. We do that a number of different ways. We have a curriculum that we teach to kids in the schools. We have handouts that go home with the kids who are in that curriculum so that their parents will learn it. We do family dinner nights where the families and anybody who works in the school, including the kids, and the kids come in, they have a vegan dinner um, and some kind of speaker um, who talks about health and nutrition topics. And we have activities for the kids where they go do some physical activity that has a sort of nutrition learning component to it. We do teacher professional development. We do presentations for food service personnel. Uh, we do presentations for the teacher aides. So we, we try to get every group of adults and the students so that the whole school community is on board with these changes. Because when the whole school community understands it, then there's a better chance of success. 
Um, if you just change the food on the menu, that alone is not going to create much of a difference at all. And so the education piece is really important and educating everybody is really important. We find among the parents and the teachers and of course society at large that there is a whole lot of misinformation out there. I mean, people are talking about paleo diets and keto diets and all these kind of diets that are proven to make health worse. I mean, yes, sometimes people have immediate benefits like weight loss with some of those because they're cutting out all the processed food. And we agree with cutting out processed foods, but all the meat in those diets, this is, it's not good. There's no research that it's good for you. And um, it's, it's just not uh, healthy. I mean, there is some research starting to come out about how bad it is and what some of the long-term effects of those kind of diets are. But in general, there is no research supporting it at all whatsoever. And so we're not sure why so many people believe it, except that I guess they have good marketing. Good marketing. And I think potentially they get to, I don't know, they get to keep the things that they like or they generally like on their, on their menu. If you, you know, on their day-to-day menu, the, I don't know, you see like, you know, a lot of paleo people talking about, you know, bacon, let's say. Mm-hmm. They get to keep the, you know, the things that they're closely tied to on their menu every day. It's not a big change for them. So that I don't think they're putting up their defensive uh, mechanisms when they're shown the keto diet or, um, you know, paleo diets or anything like that. But you're right, there's definitely more information being available on how detrimental these can be uh, for human health which is good to see because it's I suppose greatly unregulated or it's you know something where we haven't looked into uh, as deeply so yeah I suppose it's good to good to see that now and the you know so many adults believe this stuff and then that's getting transmitted to the kids Mm. So, I mean, that's a serious problem. So we feel like if we can address the adults and teach them a message that's free of food industry influence, um, then hopefully that will trickle down to the kids. That's our hope. When we do address the adults, we're not giving presentations about why healthy food is good for kids. I mean, there might be a little bit of that, but really... These presentations are designed to get the adults to care about nutrition for themselves. Because once they care about it for themselves, then they're more likely to be interested in talking about it with the kids and not conveying wrong information. For sure. So it makes it makes sense to them and then they're able to to pass that down onto onto their kids. Exactly. I suppose if it doesn't click with them, if the logic doesn't click with them, then Maybe they're, are they less likely to have interest in it and, and pass yeah, it down? Yeah, I mean, you, I think you can see with the teachers, the teachers who are really interested in what we're talking about, they, yeah, I think they are, I think that information is getting passed on to students. And then the ones who just don't care, well, they're not, they're not passing that information along. But we see a lot of interest from the teachers. It definitely stimulates a lot of conversation and... 
we are very excited because we just brought a registered dietitian on board. And so now a lot of those trainings are being done by her and um, it's all science-based. So that's really great. And, you know, schools are the place where kids go to learn. And so one of the things they should be learning about is a life skill, a life skill that will play a major role in their well-being throughout their lives. Right now we see young men in their 20s in their late 20s having heart attacks you see 70 percent of all adults overweight or obese you see um, that young adults who are maybe 18 19 20 right now at some point in their lives one-third of them of all americans will get type 2 diabetes at some point in their life if something doesn't change and that number if you're african-american or latino goes from 40 to 53 percent also depending if you're male or female so the statistics are really terrifying and now there's kids as young as eight years old on cholesterol and blood pressure lowering medications and um half of kids between the ages of two and 15 already have fatty streaks in their arteries which is literally early stage heart disease so this is a very severe problem and it's kind of obvious it's in the news all the time about obesity um and you know um pharmaceutical drugs for high cholesterol and blood pressure this is it's out there all the time it's it's just almost become the norm and yet it does not need to be it shouldn't be if we were eating the the whole plant foods that nourish our brains and our bodies and make us function the way we're intended to function um, but, but that is not what's happening. And as a result, I mean, there's all kinds of impacts for kids in schools. You know, they're not focused. They're not concentrating. Their immune systems aren't strong. So they get sick frequently and then they're out of school. And when they're not in school, they're not learning. So, you know, I think even from a perspective of a school administrator who says, I want to have high attendance rates. I want to have high test scores because um, this is what makes, you know, this is what you're supposed to have for a good school. But I don't think they necessarily always understand the impact of good nutrition on those things. And if they would understand that, you know, so we try to talk to the administrators in, in the language that they care about, right, which is, which is these things, attendance and grades and behavior um, and I think that kids could achieve a lot more if they were if they were properly nourished. I mean, literally, what we sometimes say to kids is, if the cells in our bodies could talk, they don't they don't directly, but in a way they do. Um, if they could talk, and we're feeding them lots of whole plant foods. They would say to you, thank you so much. I'm so happy. You know, they'd be having a party. They'd be dancing or whatever. They'd be really happy because you're giving them what they want. And when you give them what they want, they can do their job the way it's supposed to be done. So that means their brain works correctly and their body functions and they don't get sick. So, but when we do feed our bodies the foods that are unhealthy, animal products and processed foods, junk foods then it's like the cells are they're sad they're unhappy they have no energy you know and that's sort of like 
we have a little cartoon of these cells in the body. But anyway, I guess the point is, is that we can't really function if we're not giving ourselves the fuel that we actually need to function correctly. So I think schools are the place where kids go to learn. And kids should learn what's healthy in school. Not what the food industry likes to define as healthy, but what science shows is healthy. That's what we should be feeding them in schools. But it's a challenge because of the way kids are eating outside of school. I love that. The Firstly, like you're meeting the administrators where they're at and where they understand or where they want to improve, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a really cool thing that you've recognized and you're able to, to show them that nutrition actually does affect attendance rates and, and children's focus and their ability to to learn and be in school, be healthy and, and get good grades. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's a really cool spin on it. Um, you mentioned industry and I'm, I suppose this is one of the areas I am personally intrigued about. Does industry have an influence at all on the menus in schools? Are you up against any problems there? any barriers to get healthier foods into schools? Yes, very, very much so. If you look on the websites of the School Nutrition Associations, which are the professional association of school nutrition professionals, and you look and see who their corporate sponsors are, or if you go to their conferences, I was just at one of these conferences uh, less than a month ago, and um, on the exhibit floor, we were there with homemade food, homemade, delicious, healthy, whole plant food, entree recipes. And um, a lot of the food service directors, you know, while they're eating the pizza from the next booth over, do not want to try the homemade food. And a lot of the people who work for these companies, they're, they're in this big kitchen of the convention center, and we were too, making our homemade food from scratch in there. And this one guy's, and they're just heating food up. You know, they're putting bags into boiling water or they're heating nuggety type things in the oven. And this one guy said to us, you know, I don't mean to be a wise ass, but he said, you're actually cooking food from scratch. He's like, what are you trying to sell? (laughs) And I said, we're trying to sell an idea. The idea that healthy food is really important. That's what we're trying to sell, an idea um, and knowledge about how to eat healthfully. And he's like, wow. <laughs> you know, so but when you walk the exhibit floor at these conferences, um, you see all this food industry, really processed food, um, very, very little of it's plant-based, very, very little. Maybe you have the apple people there, the pear people there. Maybe us and another group like us that's promoting plant foods, but mostly it's this highly processed food and you're just looking at it thinking, oh my gosh, this is what the kids are eating. And you know it is because you go into, I go into schools and see it. So it's, it's very, it makes me very sad. I get depressed when I go to those conferences. It just makes me so sad. Um, and yet more and more food service directors uh, I would say the majority of them bypass our booth, but the few that do stop by, they're really interested and they're really making a difference in their schools. 
and um, there's a teacher in upstate New York who got over a thousand other teachers to go plant-based for 10 days. He got them to do a plant-based challenge. His name is Doug Schmidt and he's an amazing guy and he, he so he got this to happen and I met a few of the people who did his plant-based challenge. It wasn't just teachers but other people who work in the school. So the food service directors and school cooks that came to our table and they're like, yeah, we did that challenge and 10 days this one woman said, she goes, I lost nine pounds. My cholesterol went down nine points. My blood pressure went down nine points. She said it was amazing. It was all nines. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. But anyway, but that was in 10 days, mm-hmm. 10 days. So people, a lot of people don't know you can lower your blood pressure and your cholesterol dramatically in just, you know, a week or two. Um, and so he's had a profound impact, Doug Schmidt has. And it's amazing because those food service directors who were in the districts that he was doing that program in, you know, they were the ones coming to our table, very excited and receptive. And um, we make foods, we call them plant-powered entrees from around the world. So um, they, so, so when we promote them, the kids can learn about another culture. So we have a recipe-specific curriculum called Cool School Food in the Classroom. And the kids get to see a slideshow of the culture that that food is from, hear a little music from that culture, uh, then look at the raw ingredients. They get to look at them, touch them, smell them. And then we all sit down. They get to taste the recipe. The the, uh, kitchen makes the recipe for us. They get to taste the recipe. And then uh, we have a conversation about the power of plant foods, why they're so good for us and how they keep us healthy, how they help us be in a better mood, how they help us not be constipated. We talk about if kids know what that means. I learned that virtually all elementary kids are constipated a lot. And um, so we learned that plant foods help, you know, eating lots of plant foods will fix that problem. It's really interesting to, yeah, to learn what what you're doing with kids at such a young age because, I mean, I can only look back on my learning experiences with, with food and I don't know if there was a whole lot apart from just the standard guidelines and it wasn't very in-depth um, and it was just the way it always has been, I suppose. When, they, when you're teaching the kids about this and... You know, they're, they're learning about, let, let's say, constipation. Are they are they intrigued by, like, the power of whole plant foods? Are they, what are, what's the Q&A time like in, in these <laughs> sessions? Well, it's really funny because so the constipation conversation happens with grades K through 2. And then after grade 2, the kids are too embarrassed to talk about it. But... Sometimes we'll talk about it in any way. We just don't actually ask them to raise their hands. So we'll say, you can just think about the answer, but don't raise your hand. Just think about the answer when I ask you. And But with the younger kids, you know, we say, who knows what it means? And then maybe some kid knows what it means and we'll explain it. And then we say, now if this ever happens to you, raise your hands. And all the hands go up. I say, okay, put your hands down. Now if this happens to you a lot, like most of the time, raise your hands. And all the hands go back up. So basically, this is anecdotal. This isn't research. But I believe that 
from my experience and how many times I've done this, that that the majority of kids in elementary school are likely constipated most of the time. And it's not surprised given that, um, you know, we have this pie chart on our website, which is healthyschoolfood.org, by the way. And it's um, food consumption is a percentage of calories. And so uh, 57% of our calories come from processed foods, which means added fats and oils, added sweeteners, and refined grains. And then 33% of our calories come from animal products, meat, dairy, fish, eggs, seafood. And then only 11% of our calories come from plant foods. And even half of those plant foods are things like potatoes that end up in potato chips and french fries. And other, like maybe the nuts that end up in candy bars or whatever. But maybe only 5.5% of our calories actually come from whole plant foods. The very foods that make us healthy and help us um, avoid diseases. And so it's no wonder, you know, it's no wonder that we have the problems that we have when you look at how we eat. And this is the place to fix it. And so working with kids, it's early intervention, Mm -hmm. really. And it's giving them an opportunity to learn. And a lot of times kids go home and they talk to their parents about what they learned. One other thing about the constipation issue that I have to say is, um, and you can check this out at nutritionfacts.org, Dr. Michael Greger's website. If you enter in uh, dairy and constipation, there is a great article in there about um, there has been research that eliminated dairy from the diets of kids who had chronic constipation. And, oh, I'm sorry, they eliminated milk. And, you know, the kids got a little bit better, not all the way better. Finally, somebody said, well, let's remove all dairy from the diet. And 100% of the cases of chronic constipation resolved. And I know this personally because when I when I was closing on my house and I was in the meeting with the, the bank officer who was doing the closing, she asked me what I did. I told her, she said, oh, I have this two-year-old son. And she's like... Is a terrible problem. He's constipated all the time, and um, he uh, is on laxatives. He's two years old, and he's on laxatives, increasing doses of laxatives, and he's just miserable all the time. And I said, "Could we stop the closing for about five minutes? And can I show you this little video on my phone?" So I showed her that video on nutritionfacts.org. Well, the next week I got a an email saying oh my gosh he's so much better thank you so much blah 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 then she took him to the doctor and she told him and the doctor told her well you can cut it back as dairy by 50 percent so of course people you know they believe their doctors they listen to their doctors most doctors know almost nothing about nutrition doctors are not the place to go for nutrition advice generally speaking except there are plant-based doctors who specialize in nutrition but you know, it's really uh, registered dietitians who specialize in plant-based nutrition. They're the ones to talk to about nutrition, but but mo- not most doctors. So here's a doctor, you know, this kid was doing so much better. And then the doctor says, well, because the doctor is thinking, you know, milk is important because the dairy industry is so powerful. And to bring that back to school meals, it is required each day that milk be available. 
Kids don't have to take it, but it must be available. And there's so many problems with milk. Like, first of all, this chronic constipation, the kids that have that, it can be cured by getting rid of dairy. Um, secondly, the vast majority of the world's population cannot digest it. Uh, they are not lactase persistent. Like about 20% of Caucasians are lactase persistent. That means that they have a genetic mutation that allows them to continue being able to digest dairy. But everybody else in the world pretty much can't. It's not natural to continue drinking mammal's milk once you're not a baby anymore. It's just not natural. And it's definitely not natural to drink the milk of another species. I mean... I get that, you know, in the early years of this country that this helped people survive to be able to drink milk, but certainly that's not the situation today. And it's, people are having not just milk, but I mean, when I say dairy, cheese, yogurt, ice cream, all the things made from milk, including milk. So is that a direct effect of the industry making sure that milk is in schools Yes, it is a direct effect of the industry. They're making sure milk is in schools and it's in the law. It's in the law, not even the regulations, but the laws regarding the school meals is that milk must be made available. So it would literally take an act of Congress to change that fact. Wow. Yeah. And the the milk being available, all right, so the, the children don't have to drink it? They don't have to drink it. This is a big misunderstanding and I have had uh, arguments with people um, friendly arguments of course but <laughs> um, who insists that milk has to be served and I said it does not the school meal program the school breakfast and lunch and snack programs do not require milk to be served they require to be offered if it's being pushed on kids it's being pushed on kids but that's partly because of the misunderstanding or the belief that we need milk for strong bones. But I'm sure you've probably heard there's research, not just one study. You know, you never base anything on one study, right? But it's the preponderance of evidence that, that milk does not build strong bones. And, um, and it also, it does cause prostate cancer. It may cause ovarian cancer. Most people can't digest it. Um, it's one of the highly allergenic foods. So there's all kinds of reasons not to drink it. Um, but the thought that humans must drink the milk of another species when they're adults, when really milk is the food for baby mammals, is of course silly. You know, it's a silly idea. But it is an idea that's out there. Deeply ingrained, Deeply I suppose. ingrained. Deeply ingrained. But milk does not build strong bones. Yes, it has calcium, but it does not build strong bones. And for strong bones, we need calcium. We need vitamin D. And if we're not getting it from the sun, then we should take a supplement. Um, but that's not just vegans. That's anybody. Um, and, you know, we have um, uh, the most important, I think, factor for bone strength is weight-bearing exercise. So, but, but there's many factors. So some of them dietary, some of them not. But the bottom line is drinking lots of milk does not prevent bone fractures uh, later on in life. So, Right. It might even be the opposite from what I understand. It might be the opposite. 
correlation with osteoporosis in countries that drink the most dairy. Yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, research can be really tricky. Yep. Um, One thing about the countries that drink the most dairy is they also tend to have colder weather and therefore more ice. So the slip and fall accidents that cause broken hips, Hmm. which is the measurement of osteoporosis. So, um, but there, there is research that, that research that the women who drink more milk have more fractures. So it's, it's out there and, um, we don't, we don't need to drink cow's milk. To have strong bones. No, I think when that logic drops, it almost becomes embarrassing that you were, you know, thinking that you needed it in the first place. Because it it is such a logical thing when you when you're able to remove the, you know, whatever you've learned from a young age and whatever we've been told, which I know can be difficult. But whenever you remove that and you just see it for what it is, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit of a like, oh. I can't believe I was doing that for that long, but yeah, I can, I, you know, I do completely agree with you. It's, um, it's unnecessary. Um, what I was hearing from you there as well in relation back to the, the children and being mandated to be available in schools and having a misunderstanding by people within these schools. So some schools are forcing it, pushing it, pushing it, yeah. To kids that might not, they might have these allergies or they might have uh, a lactose intolerance, but they're having to drink milk on a on a daily basis. That's quite. And then they have stomach aches or constipation or diarrhea. But you know, it's funny because you said lactose intolerance, and I don't think I said that yet. It's very interesting. It's 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 a term that means you can't do something that you're not supposed to be able to do. So mm. it 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 actually lactose intolerance is not some medical condition. It's actually the norm. It's the norm for the vast majority of percentage of people in the world. Lactose intolerance is is normal and that is actually how you should be once you're not a baby mammal anymore. So um what is not the norm is lactase persistence. So lactase persistence is the a genetic mutation which allows certain people to continue digesting milk. So that's lactase persistence. And that is what is actually the the unusual thing. So that's the abnormal part of it. Yeah. That, that is a term I've never heard before. So I'm glad you brought that up and yeah. went into a bit more detail there. So that's the, the small population well, percentage of the population that has a genetic mutation mm-hmm. to allow them to keep consuming dairy. It's about 20% of Caucasians. And um, and so I feel like, you know, it's sad. It's um, my friend Milton Mills, who's a medical doctor, he wrote this article, Racial Bias in the U.S. Dietary Guidelines, which you can see on our website, healthyschoolfood.org. And then if you click on the equity section, you will see... Um, you will see those articles. You can read those articles. Racial bias in the U.S. Dietary Guidelines. One talks about dairy and the other one talks about meat. And um, I guess the point that I want to make is that 
when our government is influenced by the dairy industry and then the dairy is pushed on kids, even if it's not actually required, then um, uh, they're not really learning something that's going to help them. They're learning something that's going to possibly hurt them. And I think because schools are the place where kids go to learn, it's important that schools set a good example so that the kids are learning by good example. That's really the point of schools. It should be the one place in life. If, if, if it's not happening at home, it should be the one place where they can count on getting healthy food and where they can count on um, you know, not getting food that's going to harm them. And I think when parents drop their kids off at school, they expect the school to protect their kids. And, um, you know, it's, it's in loco parentis. You know, it means the school acts in place of the parents. And um, so they should do everything they can to protect the kids. And they do in so many other ways, you know, do all these things that will keep the kids healthy and protected and yet the food is is not consistent with that and so we feel strongly that um schools should set a good example and here's three reasons why number one a lot of kids are living in food insecure households and the food they get at school may be the only food they get and so they should be getting healthy food. If, if they can't get it anywhere else, they should at least be able to get it at school. So um, I think that's a really important example. Um, with so much food insecurity, making sure the food at school is healthy is really important. We say hungry kids need healthy school food. Another reason is for the parents who are feeding their kids healthfully at home. And then their kids go to school and they have are bombarded with all these unhealthy choices that is really undermining the parents so that's not good either and then finally it's our u.s taxpayer dollars that pay for this food and why would we be putting our tax money into food that is harming children instead of only food that is helping them but it's hard because they're used to eating this food that they get out in, in society at large and then they have to um, come into school and if they're only offered this healthy unfamiliar food at school it might be hard to get them to eat it so there's that reality and hopefully our programs address that reality to get the kids interested in wanting to learn more learning more trying new foods because we always have a snack with our programs so they get to try the new foods, they see what they taste like, they learn about them, they get more excited about it through our programs, and then they're more likely to eat it. So I think that's really important. So it's a really holistic approach. Yeah. Rather than just, as you said earlier, rather than giving a healthy alternative and just expecting that they choose that, you really are approaching it from a you know an educational holistic viewpoint and they have a much deeper understanding of maybe why they should be choosing these foods at at school is there any environmental component to the program well definitely um 
you you probably know this, but for the listeners who don't, um, animal agriculture is really very connected to all kinds of environmental issues. Number one, it is responsible for more greenhouse gas production than all transportation combined. Um, number two, um, so it's it's a major producer of greenhouse gases. Number two, it's very resource intensive. And number three, it causes a lot of pollution. So a lot of times the kids in school are focused on recycling or turning the lights out when they leave the room or bringing their own water bottle to school. There's all kinds of things kids learn about the environment, but virtually nobody's teaching them about the impact of their food choices on the environment, which is really a really big deal. In fact, uh, some research came out, I don't know, less than a year ago, and it basically said that the food you put on your plate is the biggest thing you can do to prevent greenhouse gas production is to eat a plant-based diet. And so that means that you have to understand that if you did all those other things combined, you know, recycle, turn out the lights, use less water, walk instead of drive, or ride a bike instead of drive, all these different things that you could do to help the environment. Even when you add them up together, none of them, even all added together, come close to the environmental savings that happen when you forego animal products in your diet or at the very least reduce them it's the biggest thing you can do that's what this article said Mm -hmm. going it said going vegan is the biggest thing you can do to help the environment so it's very important and also there was a pilot study at a school in california what they found out was that by reducing animal product animal products on the menu and increasing plant foods, the amount of greenhouse gas production reduction as a result of doing that, if you wanted to create that kind of savings with technology that you would pay for, like solar panels or something else like that, it would cost millions and millions of dollars to accomplish that same reduction that they accomplished just by switching to more whole plant foods. And in addition, the school saved $42,000 over two years. So they saved money, less greenhouse gases were produced, and, and that's much easier than spending a lot of money on technologies, which could get the same results. Really cool. Yeah. It's re- honestly like the fact that you're out there and you're, you know, your colleagues are out there doing this work and just opening these kids' eyes up to, you know, what really is happening and how big a deal their food choices really are. And to learn that at such a young age, I think is powerful for them in the future to then go on and take the next steps, teach their, you know, maybe teach their parents. It might be teaching an older sibling, um, a younger sibling. I, I don't know, but yeah, I think you're really giving them the tools to, to move forward and, and make awesome choices. Have there been any schools that have really started to, you know, adopt a full plant-based, 
plant-based menu? Is there anything like that that exists or close or they've got vegetarian menus or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I did want to add that that study that I mentioned about the environment is by Friends of the Earth. So it's foe.org, just in case anyone wants to look it up. Um, so the question was... Have any schools really like oh, right. gone like full right. plant-based? Is, does that exist or is that close to, to, to existing, do you think so? Yes. Um, there is a school in California. It's a, there's, there's a few private schools that are fully vegan. But if a school is participating in the USDA school meal program, they have to offer milk. So there's a pro and a lot of private schools also participate in the USDA school meal program. And so they know they have to offer milk, but they want the whole entire food menu to be vegan. So we're working with them to help them accomplish that. Um, in New York City, in our formal partnership with the New York City Office of School Food, we worked with New York City to develop a vegetarian menu and offer schools a vegetarian menu and we, w we wish that menu could be all vegan um i mean yes the milk has to be offered but we wish that the menu the food part we wish could be all vegan but it's not i think it's going to take us a long time before we can get to that point but we're always sort of pushing and inching our way closer uh there's a lot of factors you know they're feeding a million meals a day so there's a lot of factors involved, but we're, and, and there's the factor of kids not accepting the food because it's just so different from what they're used to. So that's a very real issue that we have to deal with. But I think all of these educational programs that we do, they definitely help. It's, it's clear that they help. So. No, it's brilliant. Also from a personal kind of, your personal experience having a daughter that's been vegan from birth, are you able to ever give advice to other parents on, you know, if they, if they are interested or, or they're worried about mm -hmm. certain, you know, parts of the vegan diet that they're, you know, concerned about? Are you able to say, hey, you know, look, I've, I've got a daughter that's flourished on a, you know, a vegan diet since birth and, you know, here's what, our experience was like are you able to well yes i can say that but the other thing that i always reference is the uh, academy of nutrition and dietetics position paper on vegetarian and vegan diets i mean this is this is a group that is funded by the food industry i mean it's the professional association of of registered dietitians and there's a lot of great things about the group but also they get their funding a lot from the food industry and um, they have these position papers which are heavily, heavily vetted by other registered dietitians. And many registered dietitians work for the food industry. And any dietitian who's a member can, can vet these papers. And so if there's anything remotely questionable in these papers, it, it doesn't get to stay in. So you've got all these people reviewing all this information and they're not able to take anything out because everything that's in there is proven by science. And what it says is that a vegetarian and a vegan diet, both, are healthy at all stages. 
what I don't think a vegetarian diet is healthy. I'm just saying this is what the paper says. Okay, just to be clear, um, that it's that it's healthy at all stages of the life cycle, from pregnancy, infancy, toddlerhood, childhood, teens, adults, and elderly people, all stages of the life cycle. This diet is not only healthy, but that the people who follow it have lower rates of diseases. And so to hear that from an association that gets a lot of money from the food industry is quite striking. I mean, of course, they should say that because it's true. I mean, it's proven by science. And so it's a good thing that people, you know, that that legitimacy exists and that you can go read that paper. It's online and and learn that, in fact, this is a diet healthy for everybody, basically. I mean, there there might be some rare exceptions, but in general, this is the diet that's helpful to everyone. Allergies and whatnot, but oh, well, give or take, it's, you know, really... Yeah. If you have allergies, I mean, I've heard so many people who had severe allergies give up all dairy products and talk about how much they improved. Actually, You've heard my this first guest on the podcast, and there's a video on my, there is a video up on my Instagram page uh, that's on the IGTV section. It's from uh, Pat McCauley. He had the same experience. Um, he spoke about, yeah, giving up dairy and, and other animal products and, and, and losing those allergies. So mm-hmm. um, really cool things to learn and it's always cool to hear stories of of people that have experienced that Um, but I think it's probably a good time for us to just about start wrapping this one up we've got to wake up early in the morning and um, finish off the the garlic planting Um, but it's it's been such an awesome experience for Anna and I to to come to um to Ithaca so it's a veganic. Is it? Is am I, am I saying? Yeah, that you are a veganic. I have a veganic, a small veganic farm, farm here, and a lot of people don't know what that term means. Thanks so much for asking about that. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, it's uh, veganic means that there's no animal input, no purposeful animal inputs. I mean, there's whatever happens in nature. If the bird flies over and poops, that's fine. But no animal manure, no bone meal, blood meal, fish meal, feather meal. Um, you know, a lot of what goes into organic agriculture is slaughter is, is animal manure and slaughterhouse byproducts, which, um, is the missing link for vegans. Um, I think a lot of vegans don't understand how their food is grown and, and it's not that I'm saying you shouldn't eat organic food. If you can eat organic food, you should eat organic food. But this is, this is in a way more organic, right? It's more organic because, it's more organic because, you know, slaughterhouse byproducts, besides being a byproduct of a horrific industry that causes massive pain and suffering, um, not only to the animals, but to the people who eat those products um, that and, and harm to the environment, that um, putting those byproducts in our gardens um, is, is, you know, is is unappealing to vegans once they learn about it and so I have this small 
uh, the Coalition for Healthy School Food is my full-time job, but I do. I have a small farm that I take care of in my in my evenings and weekends, and um, it's quite exciting. I'm still I'm a new farmer, so but it's quite exciting. And thank you for your help planting garlic today. After <laughs> it snowed about 14 or 15 inches last night, we we snow shoveled the snow off, and because garlic gets planted in the fall, so you know. It, it got planted. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to get you to send photos of when it's actually popping up in the spring. Sure. I, I, I want to see that. I want to see the fruits of my, my we labor. Are, we are going to know how straight those rows were. <laughs> <laughs> not we, that it matters. It does not matter, but it'll be, it'll be fun to it see. It definitely know? will be. But yeah, that's, I mean, honestly, it's been a cool experience for me to learn about this kind of stuff. Um, you know, farming with, with fruits and vegetables is not something I've, I've done growing up. So to be able to do it, you know, regardless of whether it's snowing or not snowing, it's been really cool to, uh, to learn, uh, from you and, and to have that experience and can't thank you enough, uh, for having us stay while it has been, um, it has been snowing here. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a really cool, Yeah. It's opportunity been a pleasure. for us yeah. it's been a real pleasure and i think that your cross-country trip is just it's so exciting you're you're both so adventurous and um i think it's really cool because i i think that you'll learn a lot from people along the way they'll learn a lot from you and uh your delightful guests and really glad to have you here and to get to know you a little bit and um i, I think what you're doing is great you're spreading your you know with the interviews spreading a lot of good information and i wish you all the best well i thank you very much amy where can we catch you guys online for the for the coalition for healthy school Food? coalition for healthy school food is healthy org, and um we'll help schools anywhere so if you're not in new york state not in new york city that's okay you can contact us um and you'll Find our information on our website and feel free to call me, email me, be in touch. We'd love to help you make your school a healthier place for the kids who go there. Beautiful. Guys, reach out if you're in need. It's such an important place for kids to be learning about this. So once again, Amy, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us here in uh, in Ithaca and yeah, we can't wait to be back at some point in 2019. That's great. I look forward to your next visit. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening in. I found this conversation with Amy super interesting. It's one of those topics that we have kind of scratched the surface in previous podcasts. So it was great to learn more and know that the state of school food is moving forward in the United States. I'd like to thank Amy for having us at her place in Ithaca for a few nights. There was a lot of snow on the ground and it really was a great time and we learned a lot. I'd love to hear from you guys as well. So what did you think of the episode and any other episodes you've listened to in the past? You can reach me on Instagram at VegTalk. That's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K. And I'll see you all next week for another episode. It will be with Peter and Jenny McQueen. They are an amazing couple from Toronto who work tirelessly for animals and the vegan movement. 
I'll catch you then.